0: so many people are going to tell you that you can't do it but we're here to tell you that you definitely can right let's do a podcast welcome back rebels hello let's talk about age Adam that's a good thing to talk about yeah it is isn't it because age doesn't bloody matter does it it bloody doesn't we've spoken about that before yeah Um, the reason that that I'm thinking that is because we had two emails this week you can send your emails to connect at rebelscreate.com. So. <laughs> is that the right address? That's the right one. Okay, yeah. great. Two emails this week where people have been kind of sharing their wins and both listeners decided to tell us how old they were. One guy was 33 and one guy was 53. Mm-hmm. Um, you've not been in the inbox, have you? So this is all a surprise to you. Yeah, but yeah. Both emails like decided to, to mention their age because it kind of like I don't know, there, there must have been something there where they're like, oh, I've done this and I'm 33. And, and then the other guy's are thinking, oh, I've done this, but I'm 55. Uh, even at my age of 53. Yeah, I'm like, not
1: this fresh out of uni, young kid who's all into startups, like ready to kind of
0: be crazy and go and start doing what he wants. And it just doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> however old you are. I guess we never really had a, a target demographic in mind when we started the podcast. We never thought this is going to be for... Our demographic was just people who were wanting to
1: start it wasn't, there was kind of no like age, gender or anything like that involved. It's more trying to support people like us when we started our business. People who just like need a little push in
0: the right direction or just need a bit of knowledge. Yeah. So one message we got was from a guy called Colin who goes under the moniker More Air. Uh, he's a music music producer, music creator, and who actually sent us some uh, some free music. So thank you very much for that, Colin. And he says in the message that he was kind of struggling with imposter syndrome and wondering if he was too old um, at 33 and obviously he's got over that and he he kind of came forward to share one of his wins this week which was that he'd finally like he'd been putting off because of fear of failure um but he wanted to send his music out to a studio and he's he's done that this week so we are we are proud of you like for getting over that hurdle and kind of realizing that another win that's in there that he doesn't really realize is realizing that the fact that he's 33 has nothing to do with anything. Yeah, I think it's probably quite hard
1: when other people around you are maybe like settling down, having kids, buying houses, like moving on in your traditional standard of life and thinking maybe
0: maybe I shouldn't start something now because everyone else is doing this. Yeah, you feel like you missed the boat. Yeah. And, and I guess we're kind of programmed to have that, this is the way that things are done. Yeah. Yeah, if you've been friends with those people for like, like 10, 15, 20 years, then they have a, a version of you and then if when you all of a sudden break from that and especially if they're not brave enough to break from that then that can get a bit weird because they're like oh you're not in the box that i put you in and yeah. now all of a sudden you're doing something different and this is weird to me it's something they don't understand because they're they've
1: got their own path that they're following and I think you've got to remember, like, you've got to do it for yourself. You don't do it for other people. 100%. Say if you're 21 or whatever when you leave uni, however old that is, and you're 33, you're only, like, 12 years into, like, your career. If you retire when you're 70, that's such a small fragment at the start. Like, if you're not happy where you are yet there's still so much time to change
0: yeah life is long and we can carry on like i hope that we do carry on learning and evolving and trying new things because otherwise like it'd be fucking dull yeah and it's yeah it's that fear of judgment of of other people like don't let that hold you back if you don't give a shit about how old you are then no one else will it's the only you're only thinking that they're going to so the other message was from ahad ra and he's uh 53 and been working in the public sector for the last few decades. And like, it's so easy to get trapped in patterns. I think Mm. familiarity is is so comfortable, um, even if it's not the best for you. Yeah. Like, even though you know that you're not happy, the familiarity just keeps you in this kind of blanket that you... And it's very hard to get out of that. Yeah, it feels safe, doesn't it? It's like anything outside of that is a risk, whereas where you are now is just
1: completely safe. But... It's like, does the risk and reward pay off? Are you going to spend the rest of your life doing something that's safe, but boring and doesn't fulfill you in any way? Or are you going to actually take that risk and potentially do something that would make you happy every day?
0: Yeah, you yeah. might fail, but like... Yeah. But Un- unless you try, you would never know. Yeah, and the, and the failures will lead you on to other things. Exactly. Um, it's, it's like we've made a bunch of failures along the way and that's yeah. why we're where we're at. Is because of those, because you learn from them in the yeah, on. Absolutely. It's so many things that we've failed at that we can then go forward and be like, well, we won't do that again. Or if we did this, we'd do it differently this time. And yeah, like fail. Failing's good. Yeah. So I had is um, getting into uh, digital collage and mixed media and using Skillshare to learn new skills that he wants to develop and i love that like like someone in their 50s like doing digital art yeah because um, you would think like or maybe they go for like more traditional art but um like just embracing like what's here now and, mm-hmm. and learning modern technology because it's like if i look at my parents like they they don't want to get involved with digital stuff yeah. they can't be bothered to learn it I, I just think it's really inspiring that people are, are out there like learning new skills yeah skillshare is great i've used it a few times before but there is so
1: much other places you can learn online, like YouTube is great. I've learned so much from YouTube. Anything I've learned camera-wise or like filming or anything, it's all just been from watching tutorials and people's
0: videos on YouTube. Yeah, and that's all for free. Yeah, Absolutely. So don't feel like you need a big budget to start learning something new. Um, nowadays, pretty much everything you can just learn online. Speaking of age, that leads us nicely onto um, this week's guest, which is... Angelica Mallin. Angelica Mallon is the editor-in-chief of About Time magazine, uh, which she started straight out of university. Um, I think she was 22. Uh, It's an online magazine that shares all the places that it's about time you visited. Angelica is also the founder of the About Time Academy, which aims to help millennials navigate the world as it is today and dispel the myths that no longer serve us. As part of this, she organises events, uh, which we talk about in the episode. Her latest event is the She Started It Festival, uh, which is coming up on the 14th of September, 2019. In this episode,
1: we talk about trial and error, breaking out of the office and the reality of running a business.
2: It's so unglamorous, it's so unsexy running your own business, like the realities of it are seriously hard graft, loads of times where things just go wrong, it's constantly, I think something that really helped me is just realising that it is a constant ebb and flow of things going wrong and then you sort them out. Angelica. Hi. Thanks for coming
0: on our podcast.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Um, Do you get upset when people keep mentioning your age because all of the (laughs) press I've read about you is like...
2: It's funny isn't it? I do think we're quite obsessed with like the under 30 entrepreneur. Yeah Yeah, I seem to get a lot of sort of attention for not for starting young so like i launched a business out of university that does often feel like my personal press hook that i'm being a woman no i don't mind it so much but i'm quite aware of it and we recently ran a campaign where we profiled 100 women who were doing really interesting things in the uk and i was so aware of making sure that they weren't all like 26 28 so i was like give me over 40s because yeah. i think that it's it's problematic actually to constantly obsess with people doing things at a young age
0: yeah, I think so because it, it, it kind of cuts people off in thinking like, oh well, I didn't if I didn't start in my twenties, then I'm I'm, I'm done stuck.
2: for. Yeah, totally. And actually, so much of great business ideas come out of life experience. And I imagine when I'm forty, I'll have so many different ideas. And the idea that i feel like I'm too old to action it really upsets me. So I think the more that we can profile age diversity, the better.
1: Yeah, I went to a good talk about. Pretty about six months ago now. And I think the stat is I mean like most millionaires started their business when they were thirty seven as like an average. Really? Which is pretty interesting. I suppose that's kind of a lot by the time you get to that age, you've got enough life experience that you can bring all that in. I feel like when you're first starting, you're learning on the go.
2: Definitely. I mean, there's loads of benefits to starting young, but God, I would have saved a lot of money because the amount (laughs) of mistakes I've made just because I was like 22, I had no idea and I was just making it up as I go along. And I think had I've gone into a job for a couple of years to get a bit of experience and then launch, I probably would have saved a fortune.
0: Yeah it's that's that's advice I give to a lot of creatives if there's something like really specific that you want to do um because we like we talked about it within the Lisa King episode of mm-hmm. she knew that she wanted to be a fashion designer but she so she learned from the best and she just made sure that she was shadowing people in that industry who were like where she wanted to be yeah and you can learn so much from that but we don't all have the the kind of luxury of doing that sometimes you just got to jump in
2: definitely and so much of what we do now is like frontier industry stuff where you're basically making up a whole new industry what i do is very varied like day to day is totally different and I wouldn't really be able to find a job that would kind of teach me those experiences because I could get a bit of it but not the total experience so a lot of the time you do just have to jump in and you kind of everyone just makes up their job now don't they yeah,
0: yeah isn't that a, what a beautiful place to be in I know just, <laughs> <laughs> honestly
2: just make it all up
1: yeah we were talking about this recently how what's nice about starting a business is you go in with every single hat you're every single role within that mm. business so at least it allows you to learn what you like as well because when you leave school you don't really know what the world's like in terms of jobs. Like you've got a really small perception of what jobs are actually out there. But then, by running your own business, you then you try everything, and you're like, actually, well, I want to go down more this route with it. And like over the years, you just change.
2: Totally. And we're schooled to think that we can only really do one thing, and actually, you can do loads of things at once, and that's fine as long as you learn how to manage things. Yeah.
0: So what is about Time magazine?
2: Sure. So, well, I'm very multi-hyphen, lots of slashes, but we're a lifestyle platform. And I call it a platform now because we start as a magazine, purely producing editorial content. And then over the years, we built up an audience of readers in the UK and we started to do events and we moved really big into the event space. And now we also host festivals. So we've become more of a platform. We do uh, festivals specifically on female entrepreneurship and female empowerment, but lots of different kind of talks and masterclasses throughout the year as well. So that the kind of umbrella of about time and then I personally do lots of event moderating for brands, I do a fair bit of feature writing, run lots of podcasts. So yeah, loads of kind of different hats the whole time.
1: You've moderated a lot of I have, yes I've
2: moderated a lot. I've yeah, there are more panels than I thought I would ever moderate so yeah I've I've experienced all of that stuff but I love that because I think so much of being an entrepreneur is being stuck behind a MacBook and I got kind of bored of that and was like actually I want to go out and meet people and develop skills like speaking to people in public like so much of, of everything we do is digital and that kind of depresses me a bit
0: Actually, find moderating harder than being on a panel.
2: Totally. Is it? Yeah, because you have to be super focused. And what I've learned specifically about moderating, and with doing podcasts as well, is you can have your press your questions prepped, but actually, the real art is listening. And that's yeah. what all of us are really bad at now because we don't really listen. We're moving through the world so quickly. So yeah, I've I've learned that you actually have to listen to what people are saying, which is yeah. which is really increasingly difficult.
1: We found that with like hosting the podcast. I think when we first started, I was listening to a lot of other ones and all. All of my favourite ones were when they got conversational and it was like you're actually having a discussion rather Mm. than some I've listened to. It's just like question, question, Mm. question, question. It's almost like they're just going down a tick sheet. I feel like you don't get the best out of someone when you do that.
2: Definitely. In a way, being prepared is like a safety blanket. And especially with event moderating, you have to throw that away a bit and be like, let's discuss. Let's see where the energy is in this conversation.
1: Where did uh, event moderating start?
2: Well, it started with our own events. So we were doing about time Academy events, probably like one a week, sometimes uh, more than that. And then I suppose like lots of brands were looking to put on those kind of things. So I started to get approached to host them on behalf of brands as well. And I love it all. But then I also like eat a lot of Marmite on toast for dinner. So I finished <laughs> my work day at like 10, 11pm. Yeah. So it's not, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a balance. And I'm still trying to find where, where it um, sits for me in terms of trying to balance working after work as well
0: yeah I've heard you talk before about work-life about, work life, about work life balance <laughs> yeah um, and you were talking about work-life integration mm. I think that was that was really interesting how I mean obviously you're still kind of struggling with it as we all do as entrepreneurs but like yeah talk a bit about so
2: I host a series for a brand called work-life which is a co-working space and we did a whole series on workplace happiness investigating what makes people happy at work talking to different experts about how we balance the two and everything like that and interestingly I interviewed the founder of Mumsnet this week as well and we were talking about that and she said this concept that there is a work and a life and we balance the two is totally outdated now it is an integration it's a flow between the two and I think it's a valuable lesson because learning to flow between the two allows you to relax a bit I think we stress out being like oh I've done too much of the work and not enough of the life or I'm having too much of the life and not enough of the work and actually we need to like be kinder to ourselves and say okay if it means for me doing a couple of hours of emails on a Sunday night that's totally fine and blurring those boundaries for some people works on the flip side having done the podcast series I did also learn that The idea that we're constantly kind of flowing between the two can lead to burnout much younger. And we're seeing that people are hyper connected to their phones constantly on their emails. And they're trying to sort of do an email here and a little bit of work there. And actually, we don't know how to have the downtime. So I'd say if you're trying to flow between the two, that's great. But also learn to actually fully step away at points rather than just trying to always catch up with a little bit here and there.
1: Yeah, I think separating it enough so you can actually have a good stint at something rather than being like five minutes here, five, 10 minutes there. Because you can never really get deep into anything. Mm-hmm. And you, I feel like the best work happens when you allocate yourself a certain amount of time. Like a really kind of good little tactic that I heard was if you're in a meeting and someone kind of said like, oh, can you do something? you like, sorry, I'm in a meeting. I can't actually do, help. can't help you at the moment. Whereas you don't do that for your own time. No. And you, if someone comes and asks you something, you're like, yeah, sure. And you'll go off and you'll be distracted. Whereas kind of giving yourself blocked time where you say, this is like, you can't bother me during this time. This is effectively a meeting with myself to just meeting with my work. <laughs> that makes things so much more efficient.
2: Definitely. And the way technology is set up is it wants us to be distracted constantly. So yes. we have like WhatsApp messenger on our laptops and we have like Slack and all these things that are pulling us in different directions and learning how to focus and not get distracted, I think is so hard. Mm-hmm. I think there's an element of surrender about it where I realise that I'm not that good at not getting distracted. So I have to be really kind of forceful with myself. So for that mean, for me, that means if I'm having like a night with my boyfriend, on delete Gmail from my phone or I'll leave my laptop at work and I know that I don't have the power. So it's like yeah. surrendering to technology to an extent rather than being like, Oh, I'm probably gonna be fine. I know I'm not. So yeah. you have yeah. to actually like take it off the phone, don't look at it. Sometimes on a Friday night, I'll delete it for the weekend. And yeah. that's the only way that I can kind of stop myself.
0: Yeah. It's like if you want to stop eating junk food, stop buying junk food. Well exactly <laughs> yeah. delete
2: the apps, yeah, yeah essentially. Really
0: yeah we all know about my problem with ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> like I've ice cream is my, my one weakness. I re- eat really healthy but I for some reason I would buy ice cream and then just be like oh just have a little bit and then you just like it's the whole tub of Ben and Jerry's <laughs> and it's like I know that I have no self-restraint with it so I don't buy it now like the discipline starts in the supermarket because before I talk myself into it I'd be like oh well that caramel cup does look really delicious I'll get that and I'll just have a little bit and I'll, I'll be really disciplined when I get home with it <laughs> and it's like no you won't you'll get home late from work because I apparently the later in the day when you try and make decisions there's a thing called decision fatigue that I was learning about where basically like decisions when you're Tired are so much harder to make the right. You'll you'll always like lean towards the easy thing, yeah. and so I would get home from like full day of working. How like shall I cook dinner or shall I just bang on this Ben and Jerry's and I just start eating that? This podcast is not sponsored by Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> so I keep shouting them out, but they're the one I go to, and like. Yeah, I had to be, the discipline had to start earlier. It had to start in the shop. If I don't buy it, then I can't eat it. And- right,
2: and it's the same technology. You're like, on open up Instagram, I'll just look for a second. And then an hour's passed and you have fall yeah. into some hole somewhere. And it's the same. We have to try and create these boundaries and not even enter into the space.
1: So it's become such a habit as well. And I think breaking that habit is the hard thing. I suppose that would be an interesting thing to try is be like, okay, well, I'm only going to use Instagram between this hour and this hour and I'm not going to touch it for the rest Mm. of the day because it's that checking that's just
2: well, they say that we pick our phones up a hundred times a day. And I think I've noticed, even if I delete all the interesting fun apps, on get rid of social media, on get rid of my email, I'll still pick it up. And it's like a physical tick more than yeah. anything. So I find myself going on LinkedIn and I'm like, I don't even like LinkedIn. <laughs> but it's like, I want to check something. Yeah. So yeah, that, it is really difficult.
1: I do that on the tube a lot. If I've got, because I haven't had games on my phone for years, because I realized that it was just a massive waste of my time, just playing like Angry Birds for hours and hours, just like, I'm not getting anything from that. But sometimes I'll be on the train and if I don't have, like, my, if I forget my headphones, so I like, can't listen to an audiobook or something, I'll be like what do I do now? Mm. And I'll just be on my phone and I've got no games and there's no apps that connect to the internet and I'm just on it, just moving around and nothing's happening. But it's just, I feel like there's a need for...
2: But don't you think that's the problem? Because is, then uh, we're like creatively stifled and I've seen it in my business sometimes that you get so caught up in the doing and the checking and the replying that actually you don't create the space for yourself to actually think and vision and dream and that's yeah. when the business stuff happens. Yeah. So like going out without your phone and going for a walk for like an hour or two In like Hampstead Heath, you're going to get loads of ideas. a way that you just don't when you're constantly checking Instagram.
1: I feel like I don't do it very often, but having a bath for me is just like such a great time to think Mm. because your phone's not in there and you're just there. I generally like turn the lights off, put a candle on, so it's really dark and it's just like you're only in your own head and you don't really. I don't really get that. Obviously, going to sleep at night you're then ties, so you're kind of drifting off at the same time and I don't want to be thinking of loads of things before I go to bed otherwise I just won't sleep mm. because I'll have mm. an
0: idea and then... I'll be like, oh, I kind of want to get up now and go and do this. So yeah, I guess using the time on the tube as a gift of, of like, okay, now I can be alone. I'm not in the bath, but I'm on the tube. I can be alone with my own thoughts and I can just zone out and be like brainstorming in, totally. in your own. In your it's own why
2: mood. I love flying so much. Because when you, do, I hate that they're bringing Wi-Fi onto flights because yeah. I, lo- I used to love that space on a long haul flight where you're like, I have no obligation right now and I'm not connected. Yeah. And actually often that was when I would get a notebook out and come up with some business ideas and stuff yeah. like that.
0: gives you just that block of time and you know okay i'm seven hours there's nothing i can do this is it
2: yeah it's totally indulgent. you get a bit of me time love it little curry ready meal
0: i mean i'm the most pro podcasts but i was listening to something really interesting the other day ironically on a podcast that was talking about how this lady was kind of like are podcasts great because now they're the go to thing? We're never alone with our thoughts anymore. Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I'm traveling, put a podcast on. Oh, I'm walking to work, put a podcast on. Oh, I'm doing the dishes, put a podcast on. It's like these headphones are around my neck 24 7. Mm-hmm. And if I'm in between doing whatever I'm doing, just click play on whatever podcast I'm halfway through and just carry on.
2: Yeah.
0: And I, there's probably something to be said for that. I mean, yeah, I'm giving your brain a rest at some point. Yeah because there's probably like, I don't know the stat but I'm sure there's only so much you can
1: consume in a day like in terms of learning
2: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah is there and just I, don't much, I don't know yeah. but I just think brain yeah also just saturation point yeah. where you stop your own thoughts because you're listening to so many people you've got so many ideas in your ears uh, the whole time
0: yeah you just become a clone of someone else <laughs> So let's go back to coming out of uni and starting. What was kind of your initial goal with About Time?
2: Sure. So I came out of university and I worked for a couple of months for a fashion and travel magazine. And I really loved it. And while I was there, I was writing a column that was like things going on in London. And I spent a lot of time on the internet researching what was going on. And I found that... I was often confronted with websites that had really kind of overwhelming big content. So it'd be like a list of like a hundred things that were on or 50 of the best burgers. And I always came away feeling like I hadn't chosen anything and that sort of tyranny of choice. And I thought, you know, it'd be really nice if someone just said, here, like this one thing, this is worth your time, kind of scaling all of that back and being a bit more bossy and authoritative. So that was kind of the initial idea for about time. It was saying, we know that your time is precious and here's five things it's about time you did or Here's a couple of ideas for your weekend. So it was bossy. It was authoritative. It was like your friend in the know. And that was the tone of voice that we went for. And I was set about creating a website that was our first site. We spent 500 quid on it. Um, It was just me and my bedroom at home. Living with my parents, and it went from there. And I didn't have a business plan. I didn't know how I was going to commercialise it. And that's been the real journey for me. I'm five and a half years later, and I've got a team, and we've worked out what does and doesn't work. But like I said before, like it is a loads of trial and error, and it's a very different experience to try to launch a business in your 30s where you have a business plan and you know maybe you've got some investment. We were totally organic, a passion project essentially that I managed to make into a business.
1: Yeah, I think all good things start from passion. Yeah, if it's if you're just starting it to make money then I feel like it's never really a good totally. way to start
2: because it's it's so unglamorous it's so unsexy running your own business like the yeah. realities of it are seriously hard graft loads of times where things just go wrong it's constantly I think something that really helped me is just realising that it is a constant ebb and flow of things going wrong and then you sort them out mm-hmm. and if you can expect that to be your natural position you're sort of ready for the day in a way so I know that loads of stuff is going to go a bit pear-shaped today and my job as a founder is to lead the team and make things right and that's yeah. okay and I speak to my other founder friends and they're like, yeah, that's that's what we do, rather than expecting it to be this rosy journey. And the passion is what gets you through. And like you said, like, if it's just about profit, you're, you're not going to stick with it. It's about purpose, really. Yeah.
0: So when you when you started off, were you just like kind of doing loads of research into um, like how like how did you find those little gems
2: yeah so we started by building a network of freelancers so that was probably the first point was to get a, a group together of people that wanted to write and in the early days we weren't paying people they were just contributing and they wanted to write for us so
0: how do um, you find those people
2: I was lucky that I it was all through Twitter mainly Twitter's been often been our main source actually of, of when we've needed people and um, Twitter's been an amazing tool for that so it was through Twitter I had friends from university who'd also studied English I, I went to Bristol and so English. So people that were looking to build a portfolio. So I suppose that was a good time in a way. And I started by building a network of freelancers and we launched the website with about 50 articles, which I think was quite important actually, because I think it's a different position to like launching a blog where you've got three. We were kind of arriving and saying, we're a a magazine, we're a glossy affair. There's loads of stuff to go on and read. So when people went on the site, there was lots of stuff to get through, which is one of the pieces of advice I give people when they say about launching like an online site. How
1: long did you you take before launch to get set up it
2: was probably about five months and I was also going out and I suppose that kind of 22 year old energy where you just you don't really feel the fear I was going out and meeting PR agencies and I was saying this is what we're going to start and this is what we're launching and they were really generous and they'd let us go try things and they were kind of got behind it which I think was really useful Mm. so another thing I often say to people is to go out there and actually speak about what you're doing and and you know get the confidence to say out loud to people this is what I'm planning Um, So we we launched with that and we made money purely through advertising for the first few years. We'd work with brands on creating content for them, doing sponsored social media. And then uh, about three years ago, the events started. And then this year, we really kind of focused in on the events and and really scaled up the amount of events we were doing.
0: So getting those initial um, writers for you, the freelancers in in the beginning, is obviously like a key part. And I suppose, was it... Like, because you're asking them to work for free, yeah. And I guess it's just getting them. Like, it's it's a it's a value exchange of you're going to be able to build your portfolio, and also we're and we're obviously going to have some content and. I guess we're both on the same mission so is it getting them to see that we're both working towards something together in collaboration as opposed to you're giving me free writing thanks a lot
2: I think it's important that we're honest about these things like we didn't pay people at the start because we just didn't have the money it was a totally fledgling project it was super new but there was also value for them what they were doing so often they were going to a city and they were experiencing things or they were going to try out a new restaurant or a hotel so they were getting something from it so I don't feel like totally bad but we pay all of our freelancers now but yeah at the time it was that they were able to build a bit of a writing portfolio on something that was new and glossy and was getting a bit of attention and they were getting to experience something nice and I've done tons of work for free and I don't think it's the best way to go down but I think at the the start of your career like you can do it and you know if you're living at home and you just want to get a little bit of something to put on your own website then that's okay
0: yeah so we are big promoters of working for free and I think that the conversation around this sort of arrogance of like, no, I'm, I'm worth more than that and I will never work for free. I, I understand it, but I don't advocate it. I think that especially when you're starting out, like free work is the key to success. Just like the networking opportunities that it brings. Um, and the fact that you're learning and practising your craft when you're new like so those writers are they're getting they're getting better because they're writing Mm -hmm. and if I mean especially if you're a writer you just want to be writing 24-7 that's Mm -hmm. how you're going to grow and improve
2: yeah totally and also it's about your personal career goals so for me I hosted loads of events for free for ages because I needed to learn how to be a moderator and then Mm -hmm. I got to a position where I said okay I know how to do this well enough that I don't need to do it for free anymore but I think if I hadn't got my face out there and started doing it and that I could maybe I wouldn't have got loads of offers so you don't really know and sometimes you do just have to if you can
0: yeah I, I think the um, the smartest thing that you did is launching the website with all of that content on there mm. I think that's so smart because even five years ago there was still like a binge culture of going on and like and I guess people will, will go through and they'll like they'll try things week after week and I guess that mm. keeps the site sticky yeah
2: definitely we learned that regular content things like columns that people could expect to come out on a Monday really helped build our audience you need to basically create things that people expect to see so we try and stay really consistent with what we publish and when so we do a guide that's like five things you need to eat this week in London and it always comes out on a Monday so people know to check in yeah that checking in culture you just want to be kind of a bookmarked website
0: so now, I mean, so you, the site gets a lot of hits, right? Mm-hmm. It's um, what's your, your monthly? We get set? about
2: eighty-five thousand to a uh, hundred thousand a month, depending on how much work we put into the content side of things. But a lot of that will now will just be from SEO traffic because we've been writing pieces for so long. So things like London's best bagels will always rank quite high on Google, or London's best Korean hot wings. So all kinds of things like that, quite niche topics, we found connect really well with our audience.
1: How strategic do you get with SEO these days? Obviously, imagine when you started, you probably didn't really know what it was, but now you know how valuable it is in terms of traffic driving. Mm how often do you do like keyword research and think, well, this would be great to do an article on because no one's really done this at the moment?
2: It's a really great question because especially in digital, like we talked about the passion, I feel a bit cynical about the SEO stuff sometimes because I think, yeah, it's really important that we rank on Google, but are we still kind of aligning with our brand message? Are we still producing content that's really valuable? Mm. If we wanted to purely play an SEO game, we can do loads of London's best vegan afternoon tea roundups and lots of stuff that people are searching for. But, but what I want to stay true to is our brand identity of being quite quirky, quite fun, discovering things that you might not know about. So it's always a bit of a balance between what's a good like SEO keyword and what's actually going to develop us as a brand and like promote our, our message, as it were. And you see it a lot with newspapers that the SEO slug is very different to what the content is about yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And I think you can go a bit too far in that SEO game. And actually, the best way to build up your audience is just to produce really good content yeah. and stuff that's going to get shared.
1: Yeah, because I think SEO is really important to just grow a business. I think a lot of people starting these days see social media as like the only marketing platform and will just put all of their kind of eggs in one basket and not really kind of create evergreen content that will last mm. a long time. Whereas mm. I think obviously your first articles are still there if you want to go and see them, which is you're growing something, whereas I, people don't really scroll back down the Instagram feed to a year ago to see what you posted then
2: totally I think for me social media is personal brand more than anything and then things like SEO and website content is actually like inbound business leads and they're quite different and you kind of have to treat them differently
0: yeah 100% agree with that we've like we've definitely seen that in our business is that our clients aren't trying to book us on Instagram Mm. they come to the website they look through the services and they book us from from the website Um, and most of the time they'll find us through Google and, and to the, I guess it's authenticity, we've certainly looked into like the SEO behind podcasting and sort of like transcribing your interviews and all of that sort of stuff that can help a, a podcast grow. But it's exactly the same with us is like, is keeping authentic and not using something that's going to be misleading. That's like the title of like, oh, House to become a millionaire overnight, mm-hmm. or just one of those things that's like a, a quick hack to, It's like that's not – we don't want to build on that foundation because it's it's shaky ground. I think a
1: lot of the content that does that basically survives off ad clicks and like ad views, so they'll get you onto the site. They don't care what the content is about because as soon as you come – like look at the page, they've earned a pet like one to two cents or something and then you can go because it's like all of those spammy sites that come up with like this one strange thing that happens to Maureen in You'll Dakota. You'll never believe what this celebrity yeah. looks like now. It's like, you couldn't tell me any of the names of those websites because you're not going to go back no, to them. No, you've yeah. got no
2: brand awareness yeah. to you. I think creating something authentic is usually slower and more sustainable and you don't see that maybe overnight success stuff but actually your brand has a bit more longevity yeah. because of it
0: and that's that's the hard thing isn't it when you start out is that doing things the right way is slower so we like when we first started we had a, a competitor who bought loads of facebook um, fans and it was such a difficult position for us because we were like do we copy mm. to keep up do we because now they've got this huge number that just made, just dwarfs us do we do that and, and our decision was no let's have every single person that follow us follows us be authentic yeah yeah and yeah I it's it's a it's a really tricky because I can see especially when you're first starting out especially if you're seeing other people with like huge numbers and huge traffic and all of that sort of stuff to to take those shortcuts but really like I mean we're nine years in you're five and a half years in that long game mm. makes so much more sense
2: definitely mm. but it's also the trend now is I think towards smaller numbers that we're like more interested about micro influencers and small targeted followings who have actually engaged communities than like huge numbers and i've seen it with the festivals that we run we do a little bit of paid spend with some influencers and the people we're working with have like six thousand on instagram but they're like the perfect demographic and actually converts to ticket sales Mm -hmm. so it's been a real learning curve that actually those really huge numbers don't mean an awful lot if it's a really wide range of people
0: yeah and having a, a, an engaged audience that's really passionate about what you do. It's like we've had guests on the podcast who've got like a much lower following that have done fantastic numbers because the people that follow them just want everything mm-hmm. that they're doing. They'll they'll come and listen to the interview straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas we've had people with like huge audiences and they'll post about the podcast and we get like, oh, we do okay and we trickle in and obviously we've got our, our core base, but you always get the guests people coming in as well and sometimes a, a bigger number will it, it won't matter because their their audience isn't engaged yeah
2: yeah totally it's that engagement level we were all obsessed with engagement now aren't we
0: yeah yeah and uh, even like removing the likes from instagram and all that sort of stuff it's uh, the the landscape's going to change over the next couple of years and i think that's why i love podcasting is because it's it's sort of it can only survive on the value you can't you yeah. can't hack a podcast. Mm. You can't put out a crap podcast and, and a million people listen to it. It's mm. just it's just not possible. Yeah,
2: it's about the actual content, which is actually really nice. It's true. Yeah.
0: So how do you balance your visitors to Instagram? Do you try and get them over to the site?
2: Okay, interesting question, because this is a internal discussion that we've had an awful lot. And I used to be quite obsessed with that. The idea that we'd have all these social numbers and they would all convert to this one platform. And actually what's really benefited us is just seeing all these things as separate entities in and of themselves. So our Twitter community is our Twitter community. Our Instagram community is that. And speaking to them, perhaps in slightly different language, asking different things of them has helped build up that engagement level. And I'm not really obsessed with the conversion into website traffic anymore. I think that they have value Value in and of themselves. So how we use those platforms has qu- changed quite a lot. We used to try and get people to constantly do the swipe up link in bio and all that kind of stuff. And now actually we try and create more conversation in the comments and on Twitter, we use it more for business strategy. So for example, uh, we're doing the festival in London on the 14th of September. But the plan for next year is to do the festivals outside of London, because I think that the conversation around female entrepreneurship would really benefit to going to some other cities. So yesterday I tweeted saying, where would you like to see She Starts It be put on? I mean, an amazing kind of response from all our Twitter followers saying, we want it in Birmingham, we want it in Liverpool, bring it to Sheffield. And that's what Twitter is for me. And it doesn't really matter as much, of course it does, but not as much to convert them to be about Time magazine readers at the moment. So looking at the platforms for different things, I think can really benefit your business business
0: yeah it's it's knowing the voice of the room that you're in isn't it and totally and that just comes through time spent on those platforms engaging with the audience and you just start to get a feel for okay this is this is a bit of a different room Mm. and i mean so i i love twitter yeah i do. I think
2: it's great for questions it's just great for getting a feel of like whether people are into something can really help you can save you a fortune and having to make a business decision that no one actually wants from you
0: yeah, I, th- I think a question we get asked quite often is is what platforms should I have when I'm starting out my business? Like, should I have everything or should I just have one? And it's completely personal and it depends on your business. But I think that pretty much everyone could benefit from Twitter.
2: Yeah, totally.
0: And again, it's the thing we've talked about before of like you curate your own feed, you, you put yourself like so don't follow people who are going to antagonise you on Twitter like don't do it as tempting as it is like stay away (laughs) from because there's so much of the bullshit on there but if you like, if you curate, follow amazing people who are doing amazing things, like such a source of inspiration every day when you go on there and see all the all the cool stuff that people are doing.
2: Also, it's nice not to be like fighting an algorithm, you know. Like with Instagram, the whole thing is kind of stressful now, and you don't really know how anything's going to do. There is something that's still quite organic about Twitter, which I think is really nice.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm finding that on LinkedIn at the moment as well. Posts are doing really well organically on yeah. LinkedIn.
2: Yeah, yeah, LinkedIn's very good for that. I've also noticed that they're not trying to stop you growing, which I think is nice.
1: Yeah, I think what they're probably trying to do is go down they've seen how successful the other platforms have been and thought let's just open up the algorithm be a bit more kind of fluent with it let things reach out because then it's just like well, people of course people are gonna move over to it because your content can actually get seen. Whereas if you're being if you feel like you're being blocked on all these other platforms, then it's only gonna put you off. So- also
2: like LinkedIn doesn't have a clear way of you paying to sponsor posts in the way that Instagram does. Yeah. So it's not really part of their business model in the same way to push you towards that avenue. Whereas Instagram wants you to stay small so you don't have a choice but to throw cash at it yeah. to grow more.
0: Yeah, it's it's Facebook of, of seven years ago. I think there's always going to be that platform that comes along that realizes I'm going to get the maximum amount of users by allowing the content to flow freely. So I don't think people need to worry because everyone's really concerned about algorithms and it's like as soon as people started freaking out about Instagram, along came LinkedIn. Mm. So I think there's always going to be something. There's always going to be a way of getting a message something out Something new, yeah. 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 I think it's the
1: same with any kind of brand and any kind of product. It's like something will go so far one way and then there'll be a bit of a rebellion against it and the people who don't like the problems that are happening with the bigger thing will move over. Yeah, It's like if you look at like the food and drinks market it's like there's so many like alternatives to Coca-Cola these days I feel like every day I'm walking down the street in London and there's a new fizzy product being handed out that's like more healthy less sugar like all of these different things and it's just like they're just responses to people getting fed up with
0: something else
2: Mm. Mm, totally
0: So let's talk about the event side. How did that kind of first start? You you were just putting on free events?
2: No, we were putting on ticketed events for our readers. I could see that happening a lot with magazines and content platforms because of actually a lot, I think, to do with Instagram. There was a shift probably about two years ago. I noticed where, whereas brands used to come to us a lot to do kind of sponsored content and paid editorial, advertorial stuff, they were starting to go to Instagrammers because that was the new place. It was almost like magazines were the middleman. And why go to a middleman when you can go directly to the consumer via an influencer? So I think budgets changed loads. And I noticed that shift. I think part of being an entrepreneur is being flexible in your mindset. And I think it was like, okay, if that's the way. Industry is going. We're gonna have to pivot. So Ross Geller, we're gonna pivot and just start doing something new. <laughs> well,
0: that's that's part of being a good entrepreneur. I think too many people double down on what's working now, mm-hmm. and so yeah, that was really wise of you to see. Oh, there's a change here. We're we're gonna have to adapt.
2: Totally. But also a benef- The reason that that is possible is having a small team. And I maintain that if you have a quite a nimble team where you're able to pivot, you're able to hire, you're able to change things up, and you hire people that are quite open to those shifts, and they're not kind of stuck in one job role that can really benefit you but you can see how the big places struggle to make those shifts and it takes Kellogg's a few years to bring out a product because they're such big entities but there is a real beauty in being a small you know an SME because you can shift so I could see that happening and I thought you know I'm not going to sit be a sitting duck and watch this happen we're going to find a way to make our platform work so we started to put on paid reader events and it started with things that were pretty sellable so how to start a food business, um, how to make it in beauty. We did an event called Young, Wild and Freelance, which was just to get freelancers together to have breakfast and then we'd have a theme for the day. So the theme might be finance and we'd get an accountant in and he'd come talk to them about how to manage your finances as a freelancer. And those were the kind of events we were doing. And we started small, kind of doing one a month just to see where the appetite was. I learned loads about how to write a good event brief and how to do a bit of sponsored stuff so people more people saw the page. And that's where we started. And then... Um, Um, In March, two years ago, we did our first festival of female entrepreneurship. So we did 12 events over six weeks, all female entrepreneurs, but loads of different industries. Everything from opening your own restaurant to uh, making it in health and well-being. Um, Loads of panel talks, everything like that. And it had an amazing energy. And I felt there was just something that came off the back of that series of events where I was like, there's really something in this. And for me, we talk about pivots, but that was another big pivot point where I was like, we need to have more things that are talking about women in business because it's clear that women don't know where to go to get advice. Then they're not sure and they want more community. So that's kind of helped structure a lot of our events the last year or so so although we've done author talks as well and we've done quite a variety of things we've done things on kind of balancing your hormones and how to eat right when you're trying to look after your mental health we've also focused a lot in women in business so
1: for someone who was wanted to start an event what would your advice to them be
2: oh okay so a couple of things that i've learned the first would be think about when you're curating the panel how can you bring people that have their own audiences in so one of the kind of stumbling blocks for us was we have 85 5,000 readers a month but not all of them are going to book onto the events they can't all afford to and we're constantly talking to the same people so we were looking at curating events where the panelists themselves would have pretty engaged social followings or they'd have a great newsletter just stuff like that so you can get greater visibility on your event Um, the SEO stuff so when you're writing an Eventbrite make sure that the kind of SEO of it is there so you want to if it's a female entrepreneur festival for example you want to make sure that that's in the headline that's in the copy because we were getting loads of ticket sales through people searching through Eventbrite's API so yeah make sure that that's all there as well I don't know Oh, and then maybe brand stuff as well. Like if you can get a brand to come in and sponsor breakfast yeah. and get them to share it. It's all just the sharing stuff, really. But the, the hardest thing is usually the first one. And then you've got, I don't know, 40 people have yeah. come. And then you've got a bit of a newsletter. And that's kind of how it starts. And you build from there.
1: Do you have a tactic at all for uh, getting people who are at an event to then come to a second event?
2: Yeah, well, um, something that I found quite useful for us is MailChimp has a good app that you can download for iPads where you get people to sign up to your newsletter in real time. Yeah. Because what I found was happening for us was our event, very geeky, but our Eventbrite is linked to PayPal. So when people were checking out, they were paying via PayPal. A lot of the time, people's PayPal email addresses are like something they've had from yeah. like 10 yes, years ago, yeah, which yeah. isn't their actual email address. So even though we were getting 200 people to an event, only like 100 of those E- emails were actually the correct contacts for them. So, actually, kind of being a bit shameless at the event and getting one of your team or yourself to go around with an iPad and be like, Would you mind signing up to our newsletter? and like this is what you can expect yeah. from it otherwise you're kind of losing out on that captive audience in the, in the moment or people are buying two tickets for them and a friend and you weren't getting the contact for the friend yeah. small little things but it makes a difference
0: so is your mailing list been big for you
2: it has been big so we have about ten thousand on it wow. what has been quite useful with with our mailing list is segmenting it so we have a mailing list that's for the about time content and then we have one for the academy and for the events and that's been quite useful so i think be quite careful about sending out mailers unless you feel like that you're sending them to the right people so the the ones the events is where we'll send out discount codes and stuff like that
0: and I think the, the 10,000 number might sound intimidating to people, but like, obviously you built that up one address, email address at a time. Literally,
2: yeah, totally. One, one at a time. Some stuff that's really helped build that up is competitions that we run on the website. And then again, yeah, stuff in person at events.
0: And I guess the event you've come, got coming up on the 14th of September, 2019 is probably your most ambitious to date, would you say?
2: Yeah, I think so. So it's a festival, so it's a one day event. Funnily enough, it's actually not so different stuff we've done but we've always done it spread out spread out over the course of like six weeks and we're just doing it as an intensive one day and that shift in the timings is actually what's made it kind of feel way more full on. But in terms of content, it's totally like comfortable ground. And we've done loads of stuff in this space, but it runs from nine till six. It's at Homegrown, which is a great private members club in Marlebone. And it's all about the future of work for women. So we've got talks on motherhood and careers. We've got talks on personal finance. We've got a keynote on investment. Something I was really keen on is I've noticed with a lot of these female festivals, they can be a little bit fluffy in that we're talking a lot about health and well-being yeah. and mindset and stuff like that. But actually, I think it's really important to talk about the less sexy stuff as well. Where there's a massive investment gap where we know that women aren't investing their money, and yeah. we also know that female-founded businesses aren't getting investment. So we've got a keynote from an amazing woman who's talking about that issue, how we're going to solve it collectively. So some of the nitty-gritty, actually, I think, is important to change the dialogue and actually help to, for the progression of women.
0: Yeah, the actual tactical advice that people are going to come away from it not just feeling motivated. So I think that's the trap is people go to an event and they feel really, really motivated because someone has, there are tactics to stand on stage and get people to feel a certain emotion. And you can come away from that going, that talk was great, I feel really motivated. But, but now what do I do? What's step one?
2: Right, totally. So when we were curating it, we were like, yeah, we're going to do an event about self-confidence and body image because that feels really ve- relevant. But we're also going to do a talk about personal finance and we're going to get a financial advisor on there. So yeah, I think you're right. I think people need to come away with some practical steps. Otherwise, you can have all the ideas in the world and all the energy, but yeah. if you can't actually work out how you start a business or how you save for a house, then you've know, not really got anything from the event.
0: So um, the reason that we got in contact with you is because some of our previous guests are going to be speaking Rhiannon at the is event. Speaking. Yeah, Rhiannon and uh, Sarah Tasker as well. So they, that has our co-sign. So Sa- we, we fully That's endorse her it. So much.
2: <laughs> Sarah's amazing. We did an event with her about Instagram and it was so funny. We had, it was one of the really hot heatwave evenings. We got loads of rosé in and people were just sitting there all night long asking her questions about Instagram myths. It was like, is this true? Is that true? And people were so worked up about different things to do with Instagram. She's like, nope that's that's not true this is okay she's amazing she's such a knowledge on this stuff
0: yeah mm. she's so lovely she's such a genuine warm person as well there's no um you know sometimes when the when the mic goes on or the camera goes on and it's like they're like right now this is my persona Shooter. it's yeah she's her uh, like and, well i guess that's her thing isn't it yeah, hashtag authentic so. exactly she is yeah. totally
2: hashtag authentic she's very on brand
0: <laughs> oh shout out to sarah so How do you manage being busy? Because out of all of the guests that we've interviewed, I would say you're one of the people who's doing, like, you're doing so much. Have you got any tactics to, like, not letting it kind of overwhelm you?
2: (laughs) I think the time management thing is very difficult for multi-hyphenates. And if you are thinking about having a portfolio career, try and work out the logistics of that because that's something I really struggle with is like I've got festival ideas and I've got feature ideas and all this kind of stuff so for me that looks like being quite strict with what I'm allowed to do on certain days so on a Sunday night I write a timetable for my week and it is very similar to like an A-level revision timetable you know when you get it and you get the highlighter colors out and it's all color-coded there's literally what I sit down sometimes it takes me like an hour and a half and I color code my days and I try to be relatively Firm with myself on it and not always just like follow what I feel like doing on the day. So, today is a festival day. I'm going to spend the whole day looking at a franchise model because we're interested next year in helping other women start their own festivals. So, I'm having a franchise model day. I'm going to look at that, try and wear that out. And that was plotted into my day. So, that's totally fine. So, I think that's some advice I'd give if you're if you are quite busy is uh, color coding, just get some highlighters basically. And then the other thing is just having some people around you. It's very hard to grow with without some kind of support network, some team. So I have someone that handles all my PR requests and he's amazing. I have someone who heads up our festivals and is a super kind of diligent events organiser. And you need someone who's actually drilled down into the details yeah. who will hold you to account and say, I know you have all these ideas, but we only have this many hours with the venue and this is what you can do, this is what you can't. So trying just to hire when you can. And the hiring thing I found for a lot of entrepreneurs is the scariest bit. And there's a lot of uncertainty when do you hire how do you hire and what I often say is if you don't feel like you're in a position to full-time hire just start with getting someone one day a week and just build from there and you, you know I think there's a bit of a misconception that if you have part-time staff, they're not going to be as energised, they're not going to be super excited about your business. And it's just not true. I have loads of people that work for me one or two days a week. And that allows me to grow in a sustainable way where I know I can pay them. But also they're like really into it. And that's fine. And they've also got their own like multi-hyphen dreams and you're just part of their career trajectory. And that's increasingly like that's the modern way of working. So, you know, taking those first steps into employment, it doesn't have to be super scary.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you have to relieve the pressure on yourself at some point. And if you're, if you're still like three years in and you're not in the position where you can hire anyone to come in and like take then then maybe the business like needs to adapt. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely.
2: And also like you're the founder and you're meant to create space where you have ideas. And if you spend your whole life working in your business, it just it just doesn't happen. You don't grow. You need to actually create that space. And that space is often thanks to other people who come in and take some of those tasks off your hand. Yeah. you should
0: be working on your business not in your business yes
2: yeah, yeah and it's so easy to fall into and usually like you quite enjoy the work you do so you kind of want to work For in sure. it yeah and I I, yeah, I didn't set out to be a manager and it no one really teaches you how to be a boss as well and that's a real Huge. learning curve yeah. like you make mistakes you cross boundaries and like that especially starting young I've learned so much about how you actually lead people in a good way and in a compassionate way
0: yeah I, I feel f- really bad as well don't you because like it's our, our staff look to us as like well you know because you're the boss and it's like we don't fucking know you've you've just got to work it out it's really hard and especially
2: in a startup those boundaries are quite blurred between you're wanting to lead and you're wanting to look like you know exactly what you're doing and people can have confidence in you but then also an element of vulnerability where you're like I'm also figuring out as I go along and for me that's been a bit of a learning curve between okay I'm a bit scared about this I'm not sure this is working out or I'm a bit stressed about our cash flow and having those conversations actually is quite important because otherwise especially if you're a solo founder you can feel really alone in it and so I've learned that you can let people in to an extent that you feel comfortable and they're usually they're really open to it obviously you don't want to tell your employees like I'm pretty <laughs> sure I can't pay you next week you know you don't want to get to that position but you can say that like, I think we need to do this because this is not looking very healthy for us as a business
1: what tactics do you use to hire people in terms of like how do you know someone's right because obviously at an interview you only get so much of who they
2: are. Yeah, no, you just don't know a lot when you hire a lot of the time. I think a lot of it is gut. It's a connection, especially in a small business. You just want to get on with people pretty well. Mm. And I was told quite early on that you hire for culture, train for skill. And I think that's quite important because actually you can't really get someone to fit into your culture, but you can teach them a lot. Um, And I'm always quite open to hiring people that are earlier on in their journeys and allowing them to come into it with you. But especially in startups, some people you just know will like the energy and the pace of it and some people will find it incredibly stressful like we're office free we work in loads of different clubs in different private members clubs all all stuff like that it doesn't suit everyone and I'm really open about that at the start where I'm like if you're expecting to come into an office every day that's not going to happen this is not how we work so finding people that connect with that and enjoy that side of things as well. So
1: what is that structure in terms of
2: chaos yeah. a um, no so the truth is is that we were in offices for three years and we had a little office in Camden we've been in Soho and I just reached a point in my business where I wasn't like super excited I felt a little bit like I had a 9 to 5 mm-hmm. and for me as a founder that felt problematic because I love the energy of creating new stuff and I want to feel impassioned Yeah. and breaking out of an office in January of this year was one of the best things I did for us because we were suddenly in different spaces we were in in like Shoreditch House we were in Soho House we were meeting people and yeah it can be a bit chaotic and I spend loads of money on flat whites don't get me wrong <laughs> but I actually like the energy of it and it was quite a nice reminder that there are loads of people in London who are doing their own thing kind of like making it up as they go along and beating to their own drum so yeah breaking out offices was great and we saved a fortune so I don't know it might work for your business for a bit but I yeah I, I actually don't know if I even believe in offices anymore
1: and how do you connect the team?
2: oh um, no we all work together we work together, um, we work together yeah, they're just in different clubs and stuff which is quite great but there's so many of these places now there's so many spaces to go in a way that a few years ago there just wasn't
0: that's brave though because yeah. I, I guess the it's I guess it's kind of archaic but like the old formula of like oh I'm having a meeting I'll come to your office mm, mm. um to to just be like no we don't have an office
2: well yeah totally and like being a journalist we get a lot of sent a lot of stuff then like, oh, I'll drop it off your office I'm like well like, you don't know where I am I don't know where I am. <laughs> <laughs> like, but it's fine actually I just think I think it's almost cooler to be like we don't have an office we're totally fine with that come meet me at whatever house you're at or wherever you are as long yeah. as you have spaces to meet people it's fine I think also there is a thing about the glamour of running your own company where you think you want to start your own business you need to go out and get some investment because you want to get a shiny place with a ping pong table and actually (laughs) do you love your startup enough to run out of Cafe Nero like honestly without any of that because actually you probably don't even need the money at the start and it might Mm -hmm. be that stick with it do it in an unsexy way and then three years down the line you're in such a better position to go out and get some investment whatever it is so yeah do you connect with it even when it's not that cool and yeah I do I'd still run about time out of Cafe Nero so that's that's my litmus test really when that stops happening just throw the towel in
1: I think going straight for investment at the start unless you really know what you're doing probably isn't that advisable like I was having a conversation with a founder recently and she basically got investment right at the start, and then now her days are just dealing with the board. Mm. It's like, that's not to me, that's not fun. That's not the reason I started a business to be dealing with people who having bosses again, I suppose. No,
2: and it totally kills the passion. Like, if mm. you've got someone breathing down your neck about the numbers, and if that happened to us in our first year, I don't think I'd be doing this now yeah. because we didn't make any money in our first year, and that was fine. Like, we figured it out. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's necessary. Obviously, it depends on the nature of your business, but I've never taken a penny from anyone. Yeah. and I feel really good about that because we grew in a way that was sustainable it was authentic to us and I've seen it loads in co-working spaces where there are companies that come in that have just raised and they get like the nice kind of shiny corner office it's all really great and then sort of a year down the line that investment has just gone to zero in the bank and that's the end of it and actually figuring out where your cash flow is coming from what actually works like that stuff is really important you can't really bypass it by just jumping on some investment and then hoping you know
1: yeah definitely yeah we had that when we started we were in like a small cold garage in South London with like whatever we could find and it's like the first nice office chairs we got were because we worked for a company that made office chairs and we just took those as payment because We just
0: did it on kind of like a a charity basis.
2: Amazing. That is where you grow. That's where the growth happens, really. We
0: bartered everything in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, first, like, maybe two or three years, just bartering everything.
1: Really? Yeah, it was like, we couldn't afford anything. So it was like, well, how can we get it? Like, what can we do for someone else Mm. to allow us to get those things? I think it makes you so much more resourceful at the end of the day. It's like, when we moved into a space we're in now, like our business partner did it on a complete shoestring because she was experienced in doing things on a shoestring Mm -hmm. like we could have come in here and spent like 40 grand and absolutely pimped it out and it wouldn't look too dissimilar to what it does now but you just have like a few like brand name chairs and like that that money could be spent elsewhere, like growing the business or kind of making staff happier.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we talked about hiring and I think that there is a slight problem with millennials and Gen Z that they expect a lot of perks and the, the kind of nature of the work that they want to do is a bit different. They think that they're going to get like free yoga classes at work and they're yeah. going to get all these like amazing perks. And that stuff is almost distracting. And actually it's like, do you connect with the work itself? Mm-hmm. And like you said having a quite stripped back setup i think actually kind of benefits a business because you bring people in who just want to work for you and they don't yeah. see all of that stuff in the same way
0: on twitter you put up your 10 things about being an entrepreneur list um, which i thought was really great and so my favorites from that are paying freelancers early or on time
2: mm-hmm. yeah
0: which i think is super important if you can pay like Please pay them, especially when like, so we deal with a lot of companies who have like 90 day payment terms and when you're the little guy in the beginning it's super hard
2: it's so difficult like yeah it's it's ridiculous there was a point this year where we had 12 grand in overdue invoices and you're like if you for a lot of people that's the end of your business it's really Uh. difficult because you haven't factored that into your cash flow so if you're in a position to like paying before 30 days i just think yeah if you can it just makes such a big difference and it's like you get such a better experience the people you work with they respect you a lot more it just feels the whole thing feels nice like it's really unpleasant Chase people basically, and like putting a freelancer in that position is just like really bad. Yeah, you
0: know? and it takes it's like it's more time out of their day. They should then invoice you for the time they've spent chasing you. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that can be that can and be. I know really significant. from my side,
2: having chased like publications I've written for, you've always got that way up between. Oh, do I want to ruin the relationship? Or like, sh- you know, am I being aggressive? And it's like actually, it shouldn't really be put on the individual <laughs> yeah. to feel those things. It yeah. should just be part and parcel of working together. But I don't think that freelancers are respected in the same way as as full time staff are.
0: Or- yeah, for sure. I've got a friend who actually will write emails from a different name she'll just say, oh, this is Helen. And she can be really harsh and she can demand like a lot more than than you can as mm. the freelancer, mm. which I think is a nice little tactic.
2: Yeah. And then on the other hand, on, on like charging and stuff like that, I think a lot of people are quite uncomfortable with those positions of like saying how much money they want. And I know for me, having like someone that handles quite a lot of my fees on things makes me feel a bit better because yeah. I actually don't love like saying this is how much I charge for something. So if you can find someone who's willing to have those conversations, I don't know what it is about money. I think it's A slight Britishness thing, but we don't really love talking about it, do we? And we we want to kind of escape those conversations a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Another one you said is um, don't go for coffee. If unless it's uh, unless you're going to get something from it,
2: no, I said the opposite. It was go for coffee when you don't want anything from someone. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because I think that I
0: we... was gonna I was gonna grill you on that. Uh, so. <laughs> no, because I
2: think we use people a bit too much professionally. And actually, some of my most useful contacts, as it were, are people that we I just stay in touch with when we don't need anything from each other. And then maybe further down the line, some our paths cross and we need each other professionally. But actually, like we talk a big game about networking and actually authentic networking is just like Becoming friends with people, so can you create more friends, and that will really like help grow your business and your career. Yeah. Oh
0: that's god, I'm so glad you said that because I, I were you, yeah, you're about
2: to give me a hard yeah, time. Yeah, I was gonna grill you, um, yeah,
0: we're going to grow you because <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, make friends before you need them is the yeah the absolute. Yeah, key. That's
2: funny because I'm
1: actually going for a coffee in an hour and a half with someone who I've not met who could become a new friend. There
2: you go. Although well, that said, I get a lot of emails being like, "Can I just pick your brain over coffee?" And I'm like, "Ugh." Yeah.
0: Because
2: yeah, it's it's like free consultancy. So there's a level. There is a level. It depends more what they're trying to achieve I think.
1: yeah and i think it's like for me it's like if someone ever comes to you there's probably less in it for you than there actually is for them yeah whereas if you're going to someone else to be like oh hey let's go and have a coffee and as soon as it's like pick your brains and that's like a i want to get something out of you that's basically what pick your brains is they're going to try and yeah. extract something whereas if it's just go and meet because you I'll, want to I'll buy a you coffee
0: it's like well thanks yeah but- Great, yeah, I'll can buy my own coffee <laughs> yeah. I yeah. know it's
2: like you spend sort of six years or like 10 years learning something and then someone just thinks they can just buy you a latte and you'll just share all your secrets. I don't think that's fair. So <laughs> yeah. You've got to know your boundaries a little bit.
0: Yeah, I got contacted by someone on LinkedIn recently who said, I want you to mentor me. And I said, well, like maybe. But first, like, why? Have a clear why. I don't want them to just go, Oh, I, I don't know, because I think it might be useful. Like, like, why? Like, what is it that I've achieved that you're trying to achieve? And the other thing that I said was, go and listen to every single podcast I've done. And once you've done that, then message me back. Mm. Because firstly, I need to see that you're committed enough. And secondly, everything I'm going to tell you, I've probably said it on the podcast. Mm. So then I don't need to meet you and you can just listen to it on the podcast. Yes, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think it's... A lot of people think that by having this this pick-your-brains conversation that they're going to find the magic pill that's going to... They gonna... think that shortcut's going to come out of it, don't yeah. they? Yeah, and really all any of us are going to say during that is like, okay, I, if, if you think you've, they've got a good idea, we'll say, okay, you've got a good idea. Now what you're going to have to do is really work really hard.
2: Yeah, do the work, yeah.
0: totally. You're going to have to tell a lot of people about it. You're going to have to learn about marketing and sales because whatever you do, if you're going to make a business from it, that's really important and uh yeah just do the work it's as simple as that really
2: yeah brains picked
1: brains
0: picked for free (laughs) you're welcome
2: there you go
1: what would be funny to do is record like get an old tape recorder and record that and just everyone who sends it just send them that.
0: yeah with a with a little bit of instant coffee in there yeah (laughs) and the other one that i thought was really important was talking about scrappy jobs
2: Mm, Yeah I think when you start So what I meant by that Is when you start out As freelance Or self-employed You're sort of Tempted to take every work That comes your way Because Cash flow And actually What I found for me Was that I was taking on Too much small stuff and my focus was a bit all over the place. And I wasn't sort of dedicating enough time to one single project. So if you are able to kind of create meteor stuff, maybe that's like projects that run on for a few months or it's just bigger things. And not just do like lots of scrappy here and there work. Yeah, because it's also about your own time and your own headspace. So, but it's difficult, isn't it? You kind of want to do everything because you want to make as much money as possible. But it's not always about that.
0: It's exactly the same for us and there is that kind of scarcity mindset of I better take this because if I don't there might be no other jobs and actually what we found is that yes you could do 10 jobs for a thousand pounds each or you could spend the same amount of time just working on one job for 10k and like you'll probably spend less time on the one job than you would on the 10 individual jobs and sometimes it is worth pursuing those bigger projects so actively going out and trying to trying to find like having in your mind what a bigger project would look like and then going to a a client that you could deliver that for Mm. and presenting it and working on that and getting those deals signed rather than just like reacting to every little thing that comes to you
2: yeah definitely i think it's a bit about manifesting isn't it it's like if you don't create the space for those bigger things to come in then they won't so if you're constantly filling your time and your diary with small bits like it never really happens so for me it was like turning down jobs that weren't particularly well paid just to create space like physically that other stuff could come in
0: yeah and i think doing stuff off of your own back as well so if you haven't got a client that's going to give you that project creating it yourself it's like with your festival. Festival, like that's a perfect case study for if a brand ever wanted to come along and put on a, a huge event, which you're going to get so much more budget for than you would if it was just like a, a little evening networking event. Whereas if you've only put on little ne- mm. evening network events, by putting on the festival, you now have a festival as a case study that that potentially could grow into like who knows what it could grow into.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think so often like we just have these tools at our disposal. If you have big dreams or whatever, like do you pretty much have like a platform through Instagram to sell it? And you have like all these different ways to make things happen. Mm. And we often like to sit and wait for that stuff to happen. And like, actually if you just go out and create it for yourself, like you're in a better position, you have ownership over it. That's like really powerful and it's really exciting.
0: So your art director is uh, Susie Marlin. How did you meet her?
2: Yeah, that's my mum. <laughs> Classic. So my, there is literally not a family member apart from maybe my granny who's 93 who isn't involved in About Time. My uncle is like our travel editor. He like goes all right, over the world like going to hotels and doing press trips and stuff like that. My mum does loads of art, art, art content. My brother gets involved. It's a real family business these so days. Cool. So you got to rope them in where you can. And um, yeah, my mum's an amazing portrait painter and, and she's done like bits of mobs for us as well.
0: That's amazing. That's so It's so nice to uh to be working with your family and uh, not fall out of a business. Yeah,
2: right? well, definitely. So, well done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank
0: <laughs> yeah. you. So to anyone who's kind of starting something new, what what would be your key advice to someone who's starting out now?
2: I think understanding a bit of a niche and a bit of an identity for something that is different to other things on the market, that would be my first point of call cool, is how can you make it a bit different and how can it stand out? And then understanding where it's useful is you may have loads of ideas, but are they useful to people and what change are you trying to um, have? So when it came to events for us, it was like, what are people going to come away feeling and how is that going to be different? And is it useful to people? So creating something that is genuinely very useful, I think is very helpful.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you can you can do a take on an existing thing. It doesn't have to be like this completely new thing that no one's ever seen before. Yeah, no. It's like before all. About Time, there were there were listing sites.
2: Loads of stuff, loads of stuff. It might just be that you're bringing it to a new audience. It might be a younger audience. It might be a different audience. But that, that can be your point of difference. It can be the, the kind of people that you try to attract. A good friend of mine, Pippa Ru- Murray, runs Pippa Nuts, the nut butter, and she says this a lot. She was like, there are loads of peanut butter brands, but we were just bring in a different demographic, like younger, cooler, millennials, people on Instagram who wanted to take photos of their nut butter, like on their porridge. And she just brought in a different audience and the supermarkets really liked that. So she didn't totally reinvent the wheel. She just kind of freshened up a category.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's key. So... One thing that I think you've done that's really cool with the festival is that you're paying all of your speakers the same amount. We are, Why did that decision come about?
2: So that decision came about, firstly, it felt important to pay people. So that was the first point of call, which actually, with something of that size, is actually relatively difficult. We've got got 41 people involved. Um, We wanted to pay everyone because I think it's about female empowerment. It's on a Saturday. We felt like it was an important part of the the mission was to uh, let people be paid. And then with paying everyone the same... I think that was just in an interest of fairness. Like, I've done quite a lot of events recently where I've been on a panel, and then afterwards, I've got chatting to the people on the panel, and we've worked out that everyone's been paid something different because we've all negotiated differently. And it's a bit of an icky feeling, and I don't think it reflects very well on the Mm organisers. And I've seen it kind of pulled out on Twitter. And something I'm really hyper aware of is being quite like a public person with like a a large ish following online. I get really nervous about getting called out on social media, and it's it's happened to me quite a lot of stuff. Like we live in quite a new age with these things where emails are screenshots and put online and things can kind of kick off quite quickly. And I didn't just, just wanted to avoid anything like that happening. So we were very clear cut. Like everyone has paid the same amount. We haven't negotiated with anyone. They can either get involved or they can't basically.
0: I guess it goes to what you were talking about earlier of these conversations about money. And we are starting to open up a little bit more. And before these organisers could pay the the person who they in their eyes had the most value give them the most and, and sort of screw everyone else over and they're not realising that we are starting to have these conversations and people do talk and they will meet up after the event and say oh, actually how much did you get for this because I did it for free yeah. and yeah and there's that's happening and I think it's reflecting really bad on the organisers who definitely. are
2: definitely and especially the female empowerment stuff like a lot of brands are playing paying lip service to female empowerment because women are kind of in fashion at the moment and actually like you shouldn't be doing an event about empowerment if you can't afford to pay people you're not going to fucking yeah. empower
0: them no it's not, it's not I'm
2: not going to feel empowered and I don't really need the exposure anymore so yeah no just pay people a little, it doesn't need to be a lot but a bit it's their time you know
0: yeah for sure well amazing Look, really looking forward to uh, seeing what you do and thank you, and where you thanks go for with having everything. me no you're welcome how can people find you online
2: sure so I'm at Jelly Malin everyone calls me Jelly at Jelly Malin on Twitter and we're at About time Mag, and it's abouttimemagazine.co.uk
1: and where can people find out about the event?
2: There you can find it on Eventbrite. It's called She Started It. So She Started It Live, it's on Eventbrite and it's also on abouttimeacademy.com. Thanks,
0: thanks so much. Much. Cheers, <laughs> thanks. <sir>. Thank
2: you. <laughs>
0: Cheers. Thanks for listening. We're trying to help a lot of people with this show so we need your help to grow the community and spread our message. If you know someone who'd benefit from hearing what we talked about today or they just need a little nudge in the right direction pass this podcast on to them. If you want to hear more, then subscribe to us on iTunes. And if we helped you with anything, we'll really love you forever. If you can leave us an iTunes review, it makes a huge difference. See ya.